Welcome to the Leave Better Podcast, where we coach you how to overcome what's holding you back from your next level. Our goal is for you to win in your business and life. Join us in engaging conversations with extraordinary people. Here's your host, certified coach and licensed therapist, Miriam Gunn. Miriam, I'm so excited to welcome you to the Feeling Forwards podcast. Oh, thank you so much. I'm super excited to be here. You and I are already working in the high performance space. So I'm looking so forward to you sharing some of your, your tools and techniques. But what, what really is high performance? Do you think that people's definition of success and how they feel successful has maybe shifted in the last five years? You know, that is such a good question. I, I am kind of curious as to whether or not it has shifted based on generational generations. Like I think people, you know, they make so much fun of millennials think this and Gen Z think that and, you know, the boomers this. And I think that when you look in those groups, definitely their definitions of success are very, you know, separated or striated. But also, I just think maybe 2020 and the pandemic shifted all of our thoughts more than we perhaps give acknowledgement to. One of the things I like to do with my clients that I coach is I'll ask them, you know, let's get away from your basic idea of success. What does success really mean to you? People will say things like time that I can do whatever with or enough money that I don't. It's not an exact amount, but it's enough money that I don't have to stress about whether or not to put my pet down if it has an issue or I want to be able to see my kids when I want to be able to see my kids and not have to sit there and say, well, what is the plane fare cost or can I take this off of work? I think success is shifting into more of those kind of definitions. I even wonder, and I haven't heard it play out like this yet, but I wonder if we're going to hear success is I don't feel anxious all the time. Success is I don't feel this uh, global sense of doom. I wonder if we're shifting into a place where success is not something you have, but it's something you don't have. I don't know. I love that. I, I agree with you. And I think there's a, maybe another way of looking at it is that it's not having things that are making people feel successful anymore. It's being someone. And perhaps that point you, you pointed out so astutely that it's being someone that gets to go to the school sports day without feeling guilty and going back to the office and the boss blaring at them. I mean, it's such a simple example, but I mean, I think I, I've seen a shift since COVID in mainly female entrepreneurs, although I always hate categorizing, is just an overall lack of confidence. Just, you know, entrepreneurs are normally those fabulous, fearless people that have an idea and set their face towards the sunrise and, and march on and, you know, work really, really hard. I'm feeling almost like a, a hesitancy and perhaps, perhaps you're right. That's because maybe that's because the definition of success has changed. So the goalposts aren't as easy to see as they once were. Yeah. You know, also, I, I think that men are also feeling the same insecurity, but men are not as willing to be as verbal about it. And I'm part of a coaching group right now that has been so much fun. And we created this space. They kind of put, I'm going to put this in air quotes, naked and messy, where you could come and just talk about things. And 
they started out with this prompt of what's the thing you don't want all of us to know about you, which is a daring prompt. And as everybody shared that, all of a sudden, nobody had to have masks on anymore. It was fascinating to watch the level of safety and then transparency, you know, just escalate with this prompt. And over the course of weeks and months, as we've continued to spend time in this group, what I have found is that men also are insecure, but they don't say it the same way. They don't mm. say it as often. They have to feel safe and like they're not going to get judged before they'll say anything. Where I think women have a tendency to maybe verbalize externally so that they can get validation and support. And I think women are just more used to coming to one another and saying, oh my gosh, I need a hug. Yes. <laughs> I've had a totally horrible day. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a really. I think it's a really daring prompt, though. So, describe your practice because you have a very unique practice. You you come at success from a therapy angle or business growth, business opportunities from a therapy angle. Does that? And you talk about the lack of business growth may be the business owner, which which the business owner can be the person that kept saying, "If only I could get good staff. If only my distribution." supply chain with working. So now do you dive into that? Do you, does that mean coming from a therapy angle that you go into the past to find out how previous childhood trauma has influenced business decisions or how, how does it work? You know, I really think it's not very cookie cutter. It's, it's really unique for each individual. But where the therapy space comes in is that's in my background. And so I would think, you know, if you think about a mechanic who knows how to use one kind of tool or a mechanic who knows how to use dozens and dozens of tools, you kind of want to take your car when it's got a weird noise that you're not sure what it is. You're going to go to the one that has more tools. And so my background as a therapist, I think, informs things. And my, I would say my current background working with a lot of businesses, it's fascinating to me, the parallels. I mean, your business partners are like a marriage. Your employees are like children, even though you don't treat them that way. You're not trying to be parental, but you are responsible for them. Any business owner who has employees and then deals with the, the recession or these various different things, they're panicked, wondering, are they going to have enough on the inflow cash side to the deal with the outflow of payroll? And I've worked with several leaders where you know, that was their number one stress because maybe their product hadn't actually been released yet. I mean, I work with a yeah. lot of people who are dealing with services, but there are a lot of also business owners who are dealing with actual products. And if you're inventing a product, you have so much X amount of venture capital, you know, that you can use. Maybe it's two years or three years. And as you see that bank account going down, and you have 20 or 30 employees who are frantically trying to create this thing, and you're going, oh my gosh, how am I going to provide for them? Well, that's exactly the same way a parent feels when, you know, the dad loses or the mom loses their job and they're like, how are we going to put food on the table? So there's a lot of parallels. You have things with business partners that is very similar to a marriage. So I think that the skill sets cross over pretty easily. I don't go digging around in people's past as far as 
what is it you want to work on? It could be personal. It could be professional, your business, et cetera. Where are you stuck? Let's look at where you're stuck. What's contributing to that stuckness? Is it something, is it a skill set you don't have that you just need to acquire? Or is it something in your back, like background, like some tapes that are running that are causing you to experience and interpret these scenarios and situations, maybe with a different lens than someone who didn't have your background? So it's a little bit like that. I don't know if that answered your question or not. No, it does. I mean, it's a number of, of interesting concepts that that come to mind. I think I've worked with a couple of business owners who are intergenerational business families, and that can be quite unique in terms of the way the business has been run in the past is often celebrated if it's successful is celebrated. You have extended family members who will say, well, why do you want to do that? So the, the family dinners and catch-ups can, can turn into an impromptu and often unwanted shareholders meeting. Have you had anyone in that situation before? I have. And it is unique when you have, I have not had what I would call intergenerational, like grandparents, parents, children, but definitely parents and children. And there's some really, you know, strange places where you really don't want your grown son calling you mom if you're the CEO. You'd kind of like them to use your name. And there are problems when the children, even if they're adults, do things that would, if a normal employee did that, you would fire them or you would put yeah. them on notice. And when it's your kid, what do you do? A lot of times, People, they let their children get away with things that they would never let a normal employee get away with. And meanwhile, a lot of times they speak to their children in ways they would never speak to a regular employee. So there's all kinds of boundary crossings that get kind of weird. And I have seen children approach their parents for progressively more and more money. And I've coached the parent who is the CEO. Well, what is the market value of this position? If you were to hire someone off the streets, what would you hire them for in terms of a, you know, whatever, and a salary or a bonus or whatnot? And I have encouraged some business owners to say to their children, you are welcome to look elsewhere. And if the market can provide that level of income, you should take it because that's better for you. But my business, my, you know, pay structure, this is what it is. And anyway, there's all sorts of weirdness when you have parents and kids in the business. <laughs> Absolutely. So is when someone is is stuck and comes to you, what's the what's the approach you take to uncover? Because quite often clients have a view of what they want. And then as professional coaches, we are able to identify maybe it is what they what they need. What is your un uncovery process? I think that I ask people to be patient and to say, I would like to not just jump to conclusions. It's going to take me a little bit of time to get to know you and to understand. And I might talk about that. There's the what you want and what you need. And can we not take drastic action for the first little bit while we're trying to understand what's needed? Uh, that is a tricky space. And sometimes what is wanted is not what is needed. And I guess I would say it depends on the relationship. How long have I known this person? 
if I've known them longer, I might be more bold and say, look, I got to be honest with you. This is what you're asking me to help you accomplish. This is what I see the downstream effects of that. If I've just gotten to know them, I might play more with what they want and talk about what they need as well. Mm, I love that because the challenge is if you don't focus on what they want, they don't feel heard. And if someone doesn't feel heard, you can't make that connection. So it's, it's establishing, it's establishing that, that circle of, of, of trust. So you talked about the stresses and strains of the entrepreneur watching their bank account drain. And it is, it is such a roller coaster because when you first get funding, because you've been working on a shoestring or the family finances or whatever, initially when you get your funding, it feels like it's a huge lump of money. Even if you've costed it out down to the last cent and you know where everything is going, when you see all those dollars in the bank account, it feels fantastic. And then the level of stress rises proportionately as the, the money starts to dwindle. How do you keep or what kind of tools do you provide for, for coping with that extreme financial and emotional stress? I like to talk with people about that when you're at least six months, a year out. Like by the time you're really sweating bullets over it, that is kind of too late. And it is really disorienting. A lot of times, some of these entrepreneurs are able to get funding in the millions of dollars. And when you have three or five or $10 million, you think it's never going to go away. But if you <laughs> hired some people, you know, 20 or 30 people at, you know, really competitive salaries, it goes away so much quicker than you think. And so I think that one of the things I like to talk to people about is whatever your deadlines are for your minimum viable product, they have to be scooted up a little bit. And you have to make triaging decisions long before you actually need to make them. They need to be made in your head. If we don't have a minimal viable product by this time frame, then these are the things that have to go. And you don't deal with it emotionally. You just it's just a thing. It's a, th a thing on the calendar. These decisions get extraordinarily emotional for people. And what I like for people to do is to have metrics outside of themselves that help keep it out of the emotional space. Because any of those costs that you're cutting, they mean things to the people who are working for you, whether those are the snacks in the break room or the bonuses or whatever they are, they, they have meaning and there are emotions attached to those down the road. So you have to kind of get there long before you're there. Mm -hmm. I love that. Uh, it, it reminds me, it's a little bit like the analogy I use sometimes is, is when you're building a house or you're doing a major renovation. I say, when your builder said it's going to be finished on the 5th of October, in your gut, you know, could be the 5th of December or a bit longer. And that's just because things come up and things go wrong. So how can you build that emotionally into, okay, is that balance between things have to be done by a certain time? And if they're not, which may be completely outside your control, like COVID or illness, or there's a disruptive force in the market or whatever, how are you going to look at that quite, quite dis dispassionately? I like that. But the, the other challenge is that I meet, I meet entrepreneurs and I, I had a very long discussion with someone who wasn't looking for coaching. We were just chatting after a podcast 
but he had a, a very big mental block around why why don't the employees work like I do? Why don't they live, breathe the company? Why don't they understand the mission that we're on? And you have to unpack that very gently because, well, you're the entrepreneur and the, on, and the employees are the employee, and that's fine. They're interested in the company. They want it to succeed, but they're never going to be as passionate as you. And you see it as a we journey. They see it as a you journey. How do you manage those kind of conversations? Yeah, I think about, I, I live on a little two acre farm and in the summer, often we'll hire some high school students to come and, you know, help out with some things around here. And they never do as good a job as I would do because they don't own the place. It's not their farm. Mm -hmm. They are mm -hmm. hired to come help whatever it is, trim the trees or dig up some weeds or help out with some of the animals. You know, they're happy to do it because they're getting paid a wage. I don't think they would be happy to volunteer. I mean, maybe they would for a little bit, but they're being paid a wage. But they don't own the place, so they're not motivated. And that's what I would say to the entrepreneurs. It's your company, you know, and when it lives or dies by you. But for them, it's a job. And that's hard for them to wrap their brain around. But when you bring it into a physical place like a home or property, it seems to make more sense to them. Mm -hmm. Because the, the ownership is more clearly delineated, isn't it? Where it's in the company, you can try and foster a team spirit and then some entrepreneurs just can't. I had one, one I had to change his meeting structure because he's the first part of each meeting with the team was the vision, the mission. But why couldn't they see it as clearly as he could? And then, you know, after the poor things have been berated for not having enough enthusiasm, it cut, the meeting went downhill from there. But you, you talk about getting unstuck, whether life or business. What are, if someone is feeling stuck listening to this podcast right now, what tools or strategies could you help them with to, to apply today? Yeah, I think that when someone is feeling stuck, you have to first ask the question, do I know what to do, but I seem to be unable to do it? Or do I not actually know what to do? Because those seem to be two different scenarios. And I would say 75% of the time, people know that what they need to do, but they are un they're constrained from doing it. So it might be that they're undisciplined. It might be something else is getting in the way. And so at a high level, I'll give some examples in my own life. I have known for quite a while that I just need to exercise more. And I, a lot of my life is meetings with people, with business owners and high performers. And I, I sit a lot. So I just need to exercise more. Now, I know that, but it's very difficult to get me to do it. Why? Well, there are these constraining factors. So some of the things that I've been trying to do and that have been quite successful is I've been trying different things. I've been linking some of my exercise with some other behaviors that I'm going to do anyway. That makes it a lot easier. I had to change my mindset about exercise. I got into the space of what is the problem here? And it's like, well, it, I feel like it's taking away from my business. I could be mm -hmm. doing these things that are working on my business, or I could be out exercising. And I finally had to click a switch or flip a switch in my brain that said, no, exercising is working on your business. It's part of your credibility. It's part of your longevity. 
if these things go down the, you know, down the hole or whatever, now you're going to have to be taking medication or this, that or the other, whatever. Once my brain heard exercising is working on your business. Wow. The whole thing changed. I just put it in my schedule in a way that it had never been before. And away we went to the races. And Obviously, not everything is that simple, although to be honest with you, that wasn't that simple. It's been something I've been fighting with for a while. There's sometimes a mindset shift that has to happen that will allow the other person to remove the roadblock. A lot of times we are our own roadblock. And so we have to figure out what's the way we can work with that piece of us that's standing in the way. Now, if it's something that you don't actually know what the answer is, it's not that you know, but you're not doing it, but you actually have no idea, you have to get some other input into the system or you're never going to get a different output. So that means hiring a consultant or hiring a coach, or it means reading a book or talking to somebody who's done it before you and getting some sort of new input so that a new idea happens so that you can take a new action, so that you can shift the thing. It's all these little tiny things, but it does start with what are you thinking and why? And you know that. We, yeah, we coaches love talking about stuff like this. <laughs> I love that when you can find that kind of, as you say, flexibility in your thinking, then sometimes a whole world of opportunity opens up. For sure. For sure. And it's crazy how that little switch opens up everything. That tiny insight just allows mm. the freedom that was previously inaccessible. Yes, it is all about changing the way you, you, you think and also you, you speak with yourself. Can you think of, just before we go, you would have coached so many interesting people. Can you think of one particular transformation that you were very proud of or was slightly unusual or is a great example for anyone who's feeling a little bit overwhelmed right now? Yeah, I'm not going to get too deep into the details just to protect the identity sure. of the person. But I had someone say to me the other day, they they were, I, I coach around the world all over the place, but this person happened to be local and they were moving and they felt like we had accomplished they were they were ready to close their tenure and of coaching and they said to me i feel like you gave me a second life i feel like if we hadn't been meeting through these years i would have had this extraordinarily small life and they had gone through a super traumatic event i i mean i think it's okay to say they'd gone through a traumatic divorce that was unexpected and unwanted and it had just challenged the way they thought and experienced life. And I think this is a space where coaching and therapy kind of melded. And this is where I was happy I had the degree. You know, it's nice to have the degree to be able to say, okay, normally we do the coaching hat, but how about if we do the therapy hat today? Anyway, I was really gratified to hear them say, you know, you, I feel like you gave me a second life. And I said back, no, you gave you a second life. I just was yes. along. I was along the journey. But you are the one who did the hard things. You are the one who made the hard choices. But that was a very gratifying situation for me. 
Yeah, that is that is the joy of coaching. Mm-hmm. Miriam, it's been a delight. How can everyone find out about you, learn more about you? Where would you like them to go? My website is leave better. Like I want you to leave better. And I also want you to leave the people around you better. It kind of goes both directions. So it's leavebetter.com. And I'm on Instagram at leavebetter. You can email me at miriam at leavebetter. Perfect. Well, I know everyone who's been listening will have gained so much wisdom from this episode and hopefully taken one small step to getting unstuck as well. So Miriam, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, Elizabeth. This was great. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you want to pursue more in the self-development realm for you and your business, contact us at leavebetter.com, where you leave better. And in addition, you leave the people and earth around you better as well. Think about this. Where you are currently is as a result of the decisions you made six months ago. Similarly, the actions you take today set you up for six months from now. So do something today that pushes you toward that next level of you. One last thing before you go. Become the dealer of growth in your sphere of influence by sharing this episode with two friends. And if you'd like to help me personally, leave a review because yes, that actually does help. Now, go be intentional.